0: State of economic depression in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet
1: because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality
2: they created.
3: You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio
2: Network. The world for people who think.
4: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Behind the Headlines. It is August 14th, and in the studio today, we will soon have joining us Joe and Neil, but uh, we're getting connected to them. In the meantime, here on the other side of the pond, we've got Shane the Chance. Hi, hey, everybody. Elon Martin. Hi, everyone. Everybody. I'm Harrison Cayley. And I guess, you know, while we're waiting for the guys to, to get online... Um, today, we're going to be talking about some news from the past week or so. Um, hasn't been a, a very huge week for dues. It seems like kind of more of the same as usual, uh, but this week kind of more so than usual. Um, the interesting things that have happened so far, like you see in the show description. Some interesting developments in Crimea, and oh, it looks like we've got the guys. Neil, Joe, are you there? Hello. Oh, Hello. Joe. Okay. Well, it sounds like they're still getting set up. <laughs> guys, we can we can hear we we heard a a mournful sigh. There, are you guys there? No, oh, they can't hear us. Okay. Well, let me just. Here, you guys talk for a sec. I'm gonna do a little spelunking.
2: Spelunking. Well, yeah. It it has been more of the same pretty much. Uh, we've noticed some developments in various places. For one, there was the um, there was this kind of military intelligence espionage uh, sabotage plan that was uh, thwarted in Crimea, uh, where Russian forces pretty much caught um, these. Intelligence groups, part of the military, uh, sent from Kiev to blow up various uh, areas there, um, and they were caught red handed.
1: Yeah, I think one of the guys uh, they call actually linked back to the Kiev government, um, one of the the head honchos. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you basically have Kiev participating in uh, overt terror. Uh, you know not not just not just uh having you know lackeys do it for them but you know they there's there's some some uh, real involvement here
2: right and and so they get caught red-handed and and what does kiev do uh they're basically uh they're blaming it on russian provocation uh turning the turning the narrative around
4: well it's better on russia it's better than that even um they <laughs> The one guy. Oh, well, just wait. We're gonna see if they're here. Are you guys there? We're here. Oh, yay! yay. Hello. Hello. Hi, welcome.
3: <laughs> hey guys, how's it going? Great. And how's it yeah. going to all the people out there listening in this crazy old world? Well, Red Fox says yay in the forum.
4: Are in the chat? <laughs> well, that's positive. <laughs> that's positive.
2: That's one yay year among billions.
4: <laughs> one, <laughs> one yay in billion, in a world of billions of nays. Surviving.
3: That's more like it. Surviving. Could be worse for other people. Not too bad. Wonderful. Everything's just wonderful. All right. That's, not, that's Lynn. Lynn um, we need to sort that out. That's, that's Lynn, not on. I need to sort that out, yeah. That's a bit too positive there. <laughs> um. Maybe we'll just, uh, start the show and, uh, yeah, by the end of it, that'll change. Yeah. We'll, cor- we'll correct that. <laughs> that's not our point, by the way. That's not, that's not our goal, but you know, it's just the way it is. <laughs> we, we distribute the freedom cookies and let the crumbs fall where they may. The real freedom cookies, gluten free. Right. Yes.
2: Right. Well, we were um, talking a little bit about the attack and, uh, um, Crimea earlier in the week, and uh, Harrison was uh, in the midst of saying that it gets even more interesting than uh, Kiev kind of blaming it all on russia
4: well well they, they it 's the way that they blame it on Russia because what happened of course was that at the the way Crimea connects to the, the main body of Ukraine is by there 's not much land it's it's this tiny isthmus, and uh, I think it's what like five to ten kilometers long. Of, of actual land bridge between Crimea and Ukraine, and the rest is kind of like these marshy bits and, uh, um, like, meters of water. So there's not a lot of land to connect them, so there's only so many ways you can get across the border. And so they had this shootout, and two FSB or military guys, Russian guys, were killed. And then apparently the story is that there were about 20 people, 20 people from uh, trying to cross in from Ukraine, and several of them, um, you know, got back into Ukraine. Some got, I think some, well, four or five got through, apparently. They didn't get caught in the in the firefight. And so the, the Russians were looking for these guys. One of them was arrested. And this was the guy that they say was, um, you know, um, employed by Ukrainian intelligence, basically. And this guy had fought in the... The so-called ATO, the the war on the Donbass, and so they caught this guy and interrogated him. He admitted to the plot and said, you know, how he was instructed to find targets to um, to sabotage, you know, blow up just these civilian targets, and the 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 Ukrainians are saying that. It's a total lie that this guy was apprehended in Ukraine by Russian agents and then um, secreted into Crimea <laughs> in order to present as this guy that they caught in Crimea. Mm. It's just it's a ridiculous story, yeah.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: You almost feel bad yeah. for Ukraine because you know they they they're so bad at being uh, uh being bad at being bad. <laughs> They, they they can't do anything right, and you know, and and even their the the stories, the the narrative that they try to come up with afterwards to explain it is is equally as bad.
6: Absurd, really. What well, what were they caught with? They, they laid some stuff out on a table. What did they say they had in their possession?
4: Well, it was something like forty kilograms of explosive material. It looked like some kind of plastic explosives, some grenades. Um, uh, and that's all that I'm really aware of. I didn't see an exact breakdown of everything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, forty to forty he, to fifty kilograms of
6: explosives. You you said it looked pathetic, and indeed it is. So begs the question: What's the point? What what could they possibly hope to do? Well, uh, well, Other than cause mayhem?
4: Well, I think that's probably it. <laughs>
6: yeah.
3: Well, they wouldn't. Even, they wouldn't even cause mayhem.
6: No, they wouldn't. It's just a small fright. And what's the point of that? If we're thinking of like,
3: well, that's because I think the problem there is that uh, after Victoria New- Newlands uh, and Co's, um, you know, bringing of freedom cookies and freedom in general and, and democracy to Ukraine a couple of years ago in that uh, staged coup, that uh, Ukraine has just um, it has been has kind of fallen apart from whatever kind of uh, political. Uh, structure or integrity it had before it has basically none now and it's unleashed all sorts of groups with uh, their own kind of agendas all these radicalized kind of uh, groups who you know are largely and in, independent or see themselves as being independent from the state or acting as acting in the name of the state themselves and i mean it's ukraine has just been turned into such a such a farce um of a country uh, that um By by the US, uh, that uh, these kind of groups can probably operate fairly fairly freely, you know, uh, and do what they want. So uh, I don't think there's any reason to think that it was actually state sanctioned, uh, such as the Ukrainian state is. Um, It was just uh, some guys having a go. Slava Ukraine, you know, glory (laughs) to the heroes, and uh, off we go. Let's get the Russians. Oh, didn't work. I mean, that's just. It's a joke. The country's a joke and they launch joke uh, and therefore launch joke attacks to reclaim Crimea. Mm. Well, the Russians well, aren't
6: joking. They they mm-hmm. claim they've parked S four hundreds in Ukraine oh, uh, yeah. in Crimea. But that's uh, a interesting slip off. In Crimea uh just just this weekend. Yeah. Um, I wonder is, if we yeah, can see I, don't it.
2: Think... I wonder I just wonder if uh we can just see it in the context of the um the the border dispute uh between donbass and Kiev as well, where they just you know in spite of minsk too they just continue to shell civilians uh and infrastructure in in uh, Donetsk and donbass uh just anything to get a, a a provocation going that where they can draw in uh, yeah well it, it's
3: and, obviously it ter- yeah it serves as a I'd say if there was any official sanction to it of or, or some description, either within the Kiev junta, which is really the US, basically, US proxy government in, in Kiev, um, if there was any state, any official sanction to it, then it was simply to draw attention back to, uh, you know, to, to Crimea and to Ukraine uh, in terms of global, global public attention and, uh, you know, allow the media to focus a bit more attention on that in the interest of some Russia bashing. Basically, it serves the purpose of reminding the world or the West, which is really the international community, i.e. Europe and America, uh, and maybe Australia, although I'm not sure about Australia. But no, anyway, Europe and America, the international community, reminding them uh, that Russia is the evil annexer of uh, of Crimea. I mean, it's, it's well worth the time, you know, because that's all they really have these days, which is this kind of black... Ridiculous black, uh, spurious propaganda against Russia—it's been going on for several years, and they just pile it on as much as possible. So any opportunity that they get or they can create to, to slam Russia again in the, in the Western press, they'll take it. You know.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh, the funny, th- one of the funny things about this is that um, if you read Joe Biden's response, he called up Poroshenko after. And I'm sure, you know, Poroshenko is probably expecting some at least kind of understated support, but but Biden mm. said to him, um, well, in the, in the U.S. kind of official summary of the call, it says the vice president urged President Poroshenko to do his part to avoid escalating tensions. The vice president mm. noted that we have urged the Russian side to do the same. So he's basically mm. putting Russia and Ukraine kind of on par, saying they both need to mm. Avoid escalating tensions. So that's not really a ringing ringing endorsement for Poroshenko.
3: That's because America is the global policeman, has to go around now and again and say, No, children, stop fighting. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it it smacks of a two faced stance where,
6: say, when it comes to something else like Syria, the US has a bargaining chip over Russia and and say, Well, you know, help us here, we'll help you there, kind of thing. Remind Mm -hmm. you that we have a hand in Ukraine.
3: They only have, well, previously they had complete domination of, 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 Syria and now they have, uh, the only thing they have to offer Russia is, listen, we can help you. But not really. But anyway, it's getting ahead of ourselves. Um, yeah, talking about Russian sanctions, uh, did you know that the Russian sanctions extended or how far they extended, how far they have extended and to what areas of life they have extended? No. Guess.
6: Thou shalt not. Um. Thou shalt not purchase Russian
3: food of any description. No, already did that more or less. Uh, no, it's extended. It's gone all the way down. It's trickled down to all all areas of life now. There was a there's an article um in, I think it's in the Guardian or something, and it's referencing, uh, it's it's a, just a spurious kind of article about the Olympics, and. It's saying it's criticizing the Olympics for being one aspect of the Olympics, which is, which is supposedly focus on uh, the bodily forms of the athletes. In this case, uh, a cosmopolitan <clears throat> cosmopolitan magazine, you know that uh, the vanguard of of Western culture of truth, truth, justice, and the American way. Um, they they ran a photo essay, uh, kind of of the thirty six best bulges in the Olympics. And this is obviously male athletes in skimpy shorts slash uh, speedos, whatever. So they had 36 pictures, you know, uh, of different athletes, uh, from the Olympics. And the guardian article was decrying this and saying, it's making a mockery. I mean, this isn't what sports about. It's not about oogling human bodies. Basically it's about athleticism and stuff like that. <clears throat> which it isn't really, well, it sort of is, but not really anyway, because of something else to t- mention on that respect. But in, in this respect of the, the bulge, you know, the battle of the bulge uh, uh, in the Cosmopolitan, um, I, I I clicked on the link in the Guardian to the Cosmopolitan photo essay, essay of all these athletes at Rio and, and the top picks of the best bulges in their shorts. <clears throat> and I clicked on it, not because I'm into that, Uh, I I want want, to stand for research purposes (laughs) (laughs) just want to get that out of the way but the reason I actually clicked on it was I suspected and my suspicions were proved accurate that there's not one Russian athlete depicted in those 36 pictures All lots of other nations preponderance of USA which is understandable but not one Russian so it just horrified me that the sanctions against, against Russia have extended right down to not including Russian athletes' bulges <laughs> in a cosmopolitan uh, magazine it's, it's photo essay severe. about bulges? I, I mean, you know, you can quibble on it and stuff and say that it's, you know, well, they just didn't make... They didn't make, make the cut. Make the cut, the basically, but I don't think that's fair to say. And I think it's evidence of basically more politics in sport or more politics in the objectification of sports personalities. Okay, it looks like a caller. Maybe it will be on this
4: topic. <laughs> Thank <so>. you, guys. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> hi, hi, caller. Are you on the line? Let us know who you are, where you're from. Caller, are you there? Is there anybody there? Is there anybody out there? Um, oh, hello. Caller. Are you on the line? We can we can hear, hear, hear you. Talking to you.
0: Uh, I'm trying to fix the feedback here.
3: Okay. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, it sounds good. Looks like, looks like it's good now.
0: Okay. Um, Listen, I've been dealing with this. I'm close to 60 years old. I've been dealing this, with this issue worldwide. Uh, Which issue? On psychopathology. Uh, okay. Psychopathology.
3: Um, okay, what's your name?
0: Worldwide. Um. I don't want to say, but. Give us can, a fake name. You can find me under. Bob? Uh, uh. John. Hi, <laughs> John. All okay. right, John. John. Um, just bear with me here. I've been dealing John. with this like close sure. to over 50, 55 years and trying to get the message out that, uh, we have to follow, we have to be careful of our own psychopathology because the world macrally is a uh, extension of our own minimal psychopathologies that we add daily to the our daily grind. And uh, you have to look at the big picture and the small picture within yourself. And I love your shows and I love uh, uh, the, the website. It's one of the best that I've found in the last four years. And um, a daily message that we have to look at ourselves to prevent the big picture, the big catastrophes from happening. Uh, We have to look at our own psychopathologies within ourselves to prevent uh, the mass psychopathologies that are just so prevalent through history, not just at the present time. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Was was that... Was it, so, that, so what's that in reference, so reference to? It's yeah. reference to what this, the topic today is. This is just one area of how um, micro psychopathologies add up. Uh, the internal fascisms that we have uh, where we disconnect ourselves from others to think that we're superior in some sort of imaginary way than our fellow human beings. So this this whole issue has been going on through history, through the history of humanity. Um, and what I'm trying to get at is that we have to provide daily guidance to people what they can do on their day to day scale. Mm-hmm. because most people are are, over, are overwhelmed with this kind of information. They have no conception on what they can do. Mm. And uh, I guess this this call is about trying to get across the idea that people have to, on their daily ritual, have to contribute, basically, you know, uh, think globally and act locally Mm -hmm. uh, in a nutshell. Mm. Um, So you have to provide...
3: Go ahead. Are you saying that this is in reference, just to be clear, you're saying this is in reference to the topic of, of today's show, the... Syria and Erdogan, Putin. Or are you saying in reference to what we were just talking about? Uh,
0: both. Uh, everything is interconnected. Uh, if you follow one lead, so two other lead, everything. Just, just,
3: just to cut to the chase, John, are, are you taking exception to some extent or other with with my comments on about the Olympics and and the cosmopolitan article on on, on bulges.
0: Uh... I have no respect for the Olympic Games at all whatsoever. No. Okay. Let me put it, none whatsoever. <laughs> it's the fascist, uh, propaganda sports entertainment movement. Um, mm. I have, you know, and, 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 and you have a lot of useful idiots that are just propagand, you know, propagandizing, uh, mm. the, the whole elitist fascist baloney that exist. I have no respect for that. And, and what you said, obviously, uh, the Russians are used as a pariah right now uh, for the elite to make money. Basically, mm-hmm. it's this mm-hmm. is just the bottom line of the elite f- finding commodities in fear and uh, uh, anxiety and uh, war mongering. It's it's just basically profit driven, uh, mm-hmm. and this is just the I have no respect for Olympics whatsoever. Mm
5: -hmm.
0: So uh, in reference to that. But if you look at, as I was saying, with that, you have to try to come across (laughs) to people on a daily level what they can do on a daily level. Mm
5: -hmm.
0: Because as I said, people are overwhelmed. They feel completely helpless when they hear a lot of this news.
3: Yeah, I I know. John, and the thing is that uh, it seems to me, unless you can give us a, a different, uh, a different idea, it seems to me that when people feel overwhelmed by all of this propaganda and stuff, I mean, the only way to uh, deal with that is for people to inform themselves.
0: I'm sorry, I didn't hear you for the last
3: part. The, the only solution for the being overwhelmed with propaganda and lies is for people to inform themselves about what's really going on or get, get as close as possible to that.
0: Yes, I agree. But on a local level, in your own family, within your mm-hmm. own Ooh. self, within your community, you have to act. You have to do something where you can. And people when they don't have any guidance on opportunities or options on what they can do, uh, they just give up. Mm -hmm. I've talked to enough people Mm -hmm. that they just turn away. When I tell them facts, they just don't know how to deal with it or they don't want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So my suggestion is yes, uh, regardless of whatever topic you're talking about, you have to, relate to the average person who is trying to actually do something and is overwhelmed and doesn't have, doesn't understand the options and different directions they have in trying to make a difference in this crazy, insane, psychopathic world that we're in right now by humans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, John, if if
2: I may, um, we we do have a SOT research forum and uh, I don't know if you've ever visited it, but um, on that forum, we have a great many discussions on the subject of narcissism, psychopathology, uh, and there's a, it's a wonderful opportunity to uh, look at these issues on the micro level, um, where people uh, get to explore how they interact with others and, and project certain things. and. Uh, and and basically understand themselves and their place in the world. Um, there are also a number of articles that we've posted to SOT uh, that encourage people to share uh, information um, and do so not only for others but for themselves um, and just kind of increasing the signal of the truth of reality as as we're learning it to be. Um, so I think to some degree, and, and no one would disagree with you, uh, we all have to kind of start where we are, exactly where we are. Um, but uh, I do encourage you to have a look at our, our research forum when you get the chance. And, um, yeah, I, so I think to some extent we're, we're doing the types of things or, or creating a dialogue for the types of things that you're mentioning.
1: Oh, well, it's it's uh, yeah, it is. You know, I think really important to you know be able to talk with like minded people, you know, about these things, and um, you know, in this process of informing yourself, and you know, I I, I definitely agree that it can be overwhelming at times. Um, but I just wanted to add that a part of that uh, of dealing with that is also to you know try to insert a little humor. Uh, it can be sometimes it's a little operation. Uh, humor, operation room, operation room, humor, uh, humor. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if you've read, uh, political pornology. Um, it's an, it's an excellent book if you haven't. Uh, but in that, um, Lobachevsky talks about, you know, being able to, to uh, talk about these things with others and, and use it as a release. Um, you know, we can, when, when we're, you know, uh, Having some lighthearted conversation about the these these uh, the cosmopolitan article, for example, you know that's uh, that's one way of you know dealing with this, and, and humor you know can be a, a a human tool to to kind of process some of these things.
3: Oh, well, John, I agree, yeah, yeah Going ahead, well, I'll, well, let me just interject this, John. I was going to say that. Um, on your point about when you talk to people and they don't know what to do with this information they don't know how to receive when you try and tell them the truth about things, the thing is those people out there have to there has to be a certain amount of willingness or interest or seeking on the part of the person they have to they have to uh, want to find the truth in response to the lies and propaganda if they're if they're affected by it enough uh, if it bothers them enough, they need to show a little bit of Self, uh, kind of motivation, uh, or motivation to to find um, another version, to find to, to find the truth, to make sense of it. Because I'd like to be able to go around the world and kind of wave a magic wand and uh, make everybody wake up to it. But uh, obviously, that's not possible, and, and I don't think it would be even right to to infringe on people in that way in terms of their choice to uh, remain ignorant to, to accept the lies or to just look away and say, I, I don't care about that anymore, you know? Uh, so maybe I, I'm wondering if it's not so much that other people around you aren't accepting of this information, but rather that you yourself maybe feel a little bit uh, the same the same way. you feel frustrated and overwhelmed by uh, the state of the world and the amount of lies and, and the psychopathic nature of, of governments and, uh, the polarisation, effectively, the psychopathologization of society, but it's you that are feeling uh, the pressure of that. And if that's the case, uh, I think I would just echo what Alan said: is that you'll find uh, a kind of strength to deal with that in, 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 in by, by by associating yourself or, or interacting with people who who feel the same way and who talk about it and who use each other as support network, effectively, to. To deal with that, you know, and that's the sought research form that uh, Alan was talking about.
0: Um, well, one of the reasons I phoned in, <laughs> so okay, yeah. Um, just, just to let you know, um, in the last three months, I, I posted uh, SOC articles like, uh, let's say about 9,000 of them, <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Um, so And i'm happy within who i am as a human being on an individual level i'm as happy as i can be with who and what i know um but i'm just giving a suggestion that when you when you you have to provide solutions and options in different ways to people if you come across a problem and then there's a huge problem so you have to try to find solutions and provide them to people who are receptive who aren't apathetic who haven't given up completely who have Mm -hmm. an open mind who are evolving who are rational um so and and my belief is that it only it's a small percentage of the population to change the whole population right it doesn't take a huge amount it only takes a small amount and those are that's my target audience but I have to come up with solutions that they can do within their own domain, in their own life.
3: Mm-hmm. Do you understand what I'm, I'm getting yeah, at? But it's, I do, but it's hard to come up with those solutions. Can you give us any examples? Well,
0: okay, let's, you want to talk about details? Then um, live a minimalist life. You do not have to have stuff to be happy. You need a minimal amount of stuff. Okay, Um, hoarding. Don't be a hoarder of anything. Um, and if if, and and that's an addiction. And in my opinion, psychopaths are naturally addicted to hoarding and hedonistic behaviors. Mm -hmm. So cut down and live a minimalist life on every materialistic level that you can and see where you're contributing to the solution or you're contributing to the, the problem mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, a, a simple example is if, if, if you're into pornography then you're supporting uh, a psychopathic right you know industry and there's a difference between pornography and eroticism there's a huge difference and it's all based on power. So, providing uh, what I'm saying is living a minimalist, non-hedonistic lifestyle Mm -hmm. on a daily basis, because most people are addicted to being happy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Their whole life is just to be happy, which is an addiction, in my view. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, There's more to life than just trying to be happy.
3: Yeah, I think people should suffer more
0: appropriately,
3: appropriate, uh, yeah, appro- suffering. appropriate suffering. for me would be getting back to something I said before, is that people, if they are confronted with the lies and the disinformation about what's going on in the world and they don't like it, then searching for the truth uh, about the situation, about the nature of the world actually involves quite a bit of suffering because the deeper down the rabbit hole you go, you just see how messed up the whole situation is, and then you're confronted with a problem of you see how bad the... The situation is, and you see all the the rest of the people on the planet being most of them being apathetic and not caring or even indulging in it, and you're you're faced with a a, almost an intractable problem there. And uh, I'm not sure there's any obvious solution to it. I mean, uh, but I think the first step would be for people to 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 start doing that, to start embodying, living, and looking for the truth in and as, as many things as they can in their lives, in their personal lives, and in the world out there.
0: Um, yes, and to live and to practice within your limitations, within your circumstances, within your abilities. Right. You, don't need right. to, you don't need to traumatize yourself. You just have no. to live within your abilities to contribute, which is always hard work. Learning the truth mm-hmm. is not easy most of the time. It's mostly suffering and hard work. Right. Learning right. anything. Right. There's It's work. It's mostly mm-hmm. work. You can have fun. You can, you know, you can joke and get around. But the brass tacks are it's hard work to learn, to expand, to evolve, to do something about a problem. Right. And so what I'm trying to, I guess what I'm trying to say is, you should have um, simple solutions that people can do, regardless of your topic at hand, your major gross topic at hand, that they can do on an individual level. Now, you can't obviously talk to someone with a closed mind, but someone who is questioning, you have, you can't, there's an opportunity to help someone en- enlighten them about the topic at hand. And to provide a connection between them and the gross manifestation problem, so they can relate back to their own life and help in themselves and in their community and their family. And yeah, and I call it the relative truths because it, they are relative truths that we interpret. So to deal with the relative truths, to to find solutions on a personal level that a person can do so that you empower them, that they feel, wow, I can actually make a contribution to the ones who are not apathetic, of course.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, if I can interrupt. Well, we do that. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Joe. I was just going to say we do that uh, on on, uh, our forum a lot, and we work with people at a very basic level because I mean some people aren't even starting from the the level of being able to you know handle the situation more or less and handle their lives some people need help with even getting their kind of lives in order relationship issues you know uh, just general life issues Uh, we we work with people on that to empower people like you said to give them a sense of of, uh, that they can actually make a difference but to, to to get even to get to that point they need to sort out some very basic things in their own lives you know and these are people who come to it seeing the state of the world seeing that the world is is a pretty horrible place and that it's run by psychopaths but before they can fight that battle on that level they need to uh, get themselves a bit in a more of a balanced uh, situation in their own lives because that's where it starts because if you're overwhelmed with personal issues you don't really have much time or energy to focus on uh, Stuff uh, on the larger scale.
0: Oh, I agree. I agree. And um, in other, uh, but I disagree. In the fact that you don't have to be perfect. To contribute to a solution to a problem. No, you can have your own. You can have many flaws in your own, but you can still contribute in your areas where you are balanced, where you do have the skills, where you do have the integrity. Um. So, I guess what i what i get frustrated with is when i hear programs who are absolutely correct on their view about what's happening in a general sense but then don't come up with options and solutions on an individual level that we can do to uh, ameliorate the gross problem that we're suffering mm-hmm. and as i said earlier we have to Understand our own psychopathologies within ourselves, our selfish behaviors, Mm -hmm. not not necessary behaviors. I'm talking about selfish behaviors that are unnecessary. Mm -hmm. Self care is not a selfish behavior. So, and it depends, of course, on the situation. So, I try. I'm the reason I'm calling in is just to, to remind you guys that, regardless of whatever you're talking about in a general sense, you have to. Try to get people to relate to their own personal experience on what they can do on a minimal level in their lives on a daily basis within their skill set,
5: mm-hmm.
0: within uh, what they are balanced in doing. And if they're overwhelmed with everything in their lives, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to do anything other than trying to get your own head above water. Mm. So, it, so it, I guess. So go ahead.
2: Well, I, I just wanted to say, John, it, it may be that for for many people, uh, just doing their best w- within their limitations, as you say, correctly, uh, and having a, a fairly objective read on reality in, in as many different ways as possible, um, including one's health, including one's uh, psychology and emotional well-being, is is the most that they can do. And you know what? That that most that they can do uh... against all of their personal challenges and and day-to-day living uh... problems might be quite a bit um,
6: it's an awful lot in fact yeah, we've learned by experience yeah. it's an awful lot. I, I, I agree and it may be that uh...
2: even even if uh... many people are are not um, sharing information uh, in the ways that you are, and and uh, that 's wonderful nine thousand articles it 's extraordinary um, you know th- that there is on some level anyway, and this is the hope uh, that they are making some kind of difference on a level uh, that is less visible and and less tangible in the ways that we might um, measure making differences um, so i, I can 't say that we disagree with you at all on, on any of the points you make, you make some wonderful points. And, um, and I think that, uh, you know, the SOT page, uh, in concentrating on, uh, you know, we have the science of the spirit and the health sections as well. And we, we, we quite often, uh, discuss important articles on psychology as, as well as those things that could help detoxify ourselves from, from the system that we're in on many different levels. And, and that's a, that is a big undertaking uh, for many, um, including us, side editors, uh, who, who are trying to keep an eye on, on as many different areas as possible. Um, so I, I would just say that uh, we're, we're kind of aligned in our thinking here, as far as I can tell.
0: Um, uh, just to sum everything up, Um, I guess the message I'm trying to say is that if you can tell people that it only takes a small percentage of a population to change the whole population. um, That gives a lot of people hope from what I can from what I've experienced within myself and with others. You don't have to you don't have to reach a huge mass. It only takes a small percentage of people who understand who are enlightened. Uh, with with the, with the problems and with solutions to change a uh, whole planet. John, have you
2: read yeah, Earth, guess, have you read Earth Changes: The Human Cosmic Connection that we quite often mention on the, the SOT page yet?
0: Um, I haven't read it, but I think I've read excerpts from it
2: mm-hmm. uh, because that that's uh, one, one of the points that's made in there, and. Um, Mm-hmm. Highly recommend it to you. It was written by uh Laura Night and Pierre Lesquadron. Lesquadron, mm-hmm. if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um and it, it speaks to uh these very same issues. Uh you know, the, the reaching this at least minimal amount of, of individuals that, that um that see things objectively. A threshold th- level. Yeah. A critical mass.
0: A threshold level. Yeah a critical mass, whatever you want to call it. So um, I guess that... We, sorry, go ahead.
3: Yeah, I was going to say we agree, and um, and it's a difficult thing to do, and we, we try to do it. Um, of course, we don't do it all the time because, uh, I, mean, I mean, we we have, none again, we'll have a show on what you can do and give some examples. But generally speaking, it comes down to um, people really have to... Uh, have that motivation within themselves to, to want to do something about it and to be looking to, to do something and then if they do I mean the internet in that sense is, is useful where people can search and of course there's many blind alleys but uh there's websites like our website, south.net and our forum, etc., where people can find uh, a lot of resources in, in terms of helping them to, to navigate and to do what you're what you're suggesting that small group of people, if if only a small group of people need to do to have a, a chance of of changing things, and uh, I mean your your thesis uh, is is making me um, is making me go a bit uh, biblical, you know, because it reminds me of uh, uh, Ezekiel uh, twenty five seventeen uh, that which says that the path of the righteous man or woman is beset on all sides by the iniquities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. And blessed is he or she who, in the name of charity and goodwill, shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness. For he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. Uh, so there's not a lot in the Bible. I, that I lost uh, the connection. Oh, you lost? Oh, well, maybe that's that's Bible interference there. Somebody post a quote there. Did you lose the connection? <laughs> I think I... Uh, Interfered with the signal with the Bible code there. I, I, I don't know if you're there. I can't, so someone stepped on the computer. Someone someone stepped on it? That's bad. <laughs> anyway,
2: I will talk to you guys sometime in the future. Maybe good luck, and let's continue doing what we're doing. All
4: right. Okay. Well,
6: thanks, John. Thank, Thank you, time. John. Bye, John. Uh, Somebody post a link to the forum there in the chat room because it sounds like he's a regular listener who doesn't know about it. Um, I think he'll see that we're uh, all about the details and what people can actually do in the here and now, in the face of all this macro-social stuff. So moving on from the Battle of the Bulge, I just want to know something about the Olympics, um, it's a little disheartening to see the extent of the anti-Russian fever even in faraway <clears> Brazil <throat> where people have been tearing down Russian flags in the city, attacking anyone Russian, booing anyone Russian who enters the fray for a race or whatever, um, blatantly disrespecting the Russian anthem when it's played because a russian athlete won something so uh yeah boo boo to the olympics
1: yeah, I, I, I i concur I, I boo as well regarding that it's, it's been you know really uh when, when you have the olympics uh portrayed as you know this uh sportsmanship ideal you know it's, it's just totally bogus when you see actual people you know come under the force of all this political rhetoric you know, the, here's these individuals you know, uh, at, at a very personal level um, you know, experiencing some just, you know, just some real nastiness um, you know, normal people shouldn't have to bear the brunt of, you know, these political forces, but that's that's pretty much the nature of things uh, in, in the world
3: today and you know um, absolutely. <clears throat> It's absolutely politicized, yeah, I mean 100%, it's not really, um, it's just about sport for its, for its own sake at this point. I mean, um, I took exception today with, um, the British, British newspapers, um, lauding the fact that, uh, I think he's a 10,000 meter runner, Mo Farah, uh, won the gold for, for the British. Uh, and it's, you know, it's a pretty major event, the 10,000 meters. It's like a six mile run basically. And, uh, he won it and he, you know, wrapped himself in the union jack, uh, up there on the podium, got the gold. British newspapers just loved it. You know, isn't it great for Britain? You know, gold is the currency in Rio. Uh, gold is the, is the British currency in Rio, they say. (laughs) Uh, but then I was like, hang on a minute. Oh, far. Oh Yeah. So the guys on the second and third beside him one of them was from um uh, cause obviously in those long distance run, runs the 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 uh, um, runners from African countries with a kind of a tradition I suppose a genetic proclivity and, and a tradition of, of 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 you know just an ability uh, uh to run long distance it's a very good long distance runner uh but this guy more was beat beat the two. Uh, from the African nations uh, for to the, for the Golden. Lookout, I look up, just something occurred to me or came back to me, and I looked up Mofara. Yeah, Mofara was born in Mogadishu huh. uh, in Somalia. And
6: it's not Mogadishu near Brighton?
3: No, oh. not Mogadishu near <laughs> Brighton, Mogadishu in Somalia. And he uh, came to the United Kingdom uh, when he was eight years old. And he didn't speak a word of English. Uh, I know it's a small point, but uh, it just annoyed me that the British there's were a, upholding this There's guy. a bigger
6: point. There's a bigger point. Mo Farah, in a little more even-handed celebratory article in The Guardian, is under high suspicion of being a cheat. Right. His former coach named Jama Aiden, was arrested by Spanish police last year on charges of doping all his athletes. Right. It's highly unlikely... Mo Farah was not one of them. He right. came out of nowhere at the last Olympics to win, and so, he's done it again this time.
3: So not only should he just not be... Uh, he's not probably be, a cheat. Not only should he not be representing the UK, he should not be in the games at all. But because he's not Russian, he's in the games. All the Russian athletes, out you go, because sport is completely politicized. And what are you going to do? Um, we have another caller on the line, it looks like, no? Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and take that one. Hi, do we have a caller on the line right now?
7: Yeah, it's Kent from West Virginia.
3: Hello, Kent. How are you, doing? A
7: couple of things. First of all, you lads from Ireland shouldn't be surprised that they would adopt uh, an African You know, you 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 have the history of uh, the uh, English adopting Irish athletes in suits. And I remember uh, a couple of years ago in the uh, the Open Golf Championship.
2: Hey, Kent, we're having difficulty hearing you. Can you speak closer to the mic, please?
7: Is that better? Yeah. yeah. Is that better? Oh, yeah, that's better. Uh, that's much better. Yeah. Well, you remember uh, uh, several years ago, Darren Clark, he's from Northern Ireland, I believe. I'm sure he is. Anyway, um, he was uh, in an early stage of one round of the British Open. He was leading, and I was listening to it on the BBC. And uh, um, early on, he was uh, British. then about midway through the round, he had uh, cooled off and he was from Northern Ireland. And at the end of the round, uh, he had dropped back. And at that point, he was Irish. So he had three different uh, political uh, designations in one day.
3: Depending on how well he was doing.
7: Yeah. And uh, now the question of the Russians, uh, that goes back like I'm uh, I'm 62 and, you know, and I, you know, you can imagine being young, there wasn't much sports in the United States. And, you know, I was keen for anything, you know, maybe when I was eight or 10 years old, the Olympics and all, but that's a big deal. And it, it was just constant politicization of uh, the Olympics, even back then. You know, if you were to go out in you know, Americans, uh, if you're playing baseball or something and, and you, you didn't make a play or something because you tripped or somebody cheated, they would start whining and you're just poor loser, blah, blah blah. But now, in the Olympics, um, all they did was whine about the Russians that the Russians won something. Well, the simple fact of the matter is that the Russian government paid for that athlete to do his training or whatever you know, and it was just constant. And I would, and I was turned off. And I haven't, I, I haven't had any respect for the Olympics in all those years because I was my young age level. Why the hell doesn't the United States government just pay for these athletes, you know, instead of bitching about it? And then it was, you know, it's all this idea that the parents are supposed to, you know, sacrifice and raise the money and send, you know. And, of course, a lot of these, you know, these uh, uh, skiers and this, these, a lot of these athletes, you know, swimmers, some of these uh, are, come from affluent families anyway. So uh, the, the whole Russian bashing is uh, perennial. You know, it's been going back from, you know, from when I was young and I'm older than you, fellows, So it, it's probably never going to stop, you know, until they have the war that they want. There is no Russia. Yeah. Well,
6: the, the Olympics are a modern thing. It's um, really only just over 100 years old. The whole idea is, is that it's... Uh, The continuation of a tradition from Greece is a modern fiction, which is, of course, designed to buttress the overall modern fiction that the West has direct lineage going back to ancient Greece and that we, therefore, the leaders in the West are descendants of the great Greek thinkers, which is all complete hogwash because there's a whole era in between in which Europe was in the Dark Ages. So this is part and parcel of of buttressing this idea that the West is the best, and the Olympics serves to highlight that. And, yeah, we let you know other races participate, but begrudgingly, and now and then we'll try and cheat some of them out of it. We don't like Russians now. They can't be in. Now we don't like Chinese. Oh, they're all cheating. Now we don't like East Germans. They're all doping, so we'll ban them from the Olympics, yada, yada, yada. So in the end, it comes down to this kind of not-so-subtle idea that, we're going to uphold the West as the pinnacle of civilization. So, it yeah, it's it's completely political from its conception through to what we see today.
7: And of course, back in the in the old days, this the strict amateur way. Well, you know, some of you might know the story of Jim Thorpe, but it was always the the gentlemen, the athletes, you know, that had the money that didn't have to do anything. You know, had you know had the leisure time to train and everything. So. Right. It's sort of always been a very snobby sort of a thing anyway, so uh, it's just that I've always regarded as a joke, complete total joke, you
6: know. So I'm,
7: I hate to see it come, but I'm glad to see it go. All
6: right. Thanks, Kent. We're okay. going to leave the Olympics, so we'll leave you too.
3: All right. Okay. Talk to you soon. Thanks for calling. Cheers. Right. Bye, Kent. Bye. Thank you.
4: So, so next, what's next, uh, fellas, next subject. How yes. about um, how about we move to Asia, Southeast Asia, Philippines, and Thailand?
6: Okay. <clears throat> righty. What's going on there? Um. In in Thailand, well, they had a referendum about ten days ago. Uh, in which the measure passed that would effectively strengthen the military power, military slash royal structure of power yeah. in Thailand and and make it harder for one, one of the political factions that have been um, in power here and there over the last 10 years but mainly outside power and trying violently to get in this, this goes back to this guy, Maxine Shinawatra. He's very much a Washington aligned, Thai uh, oligarch. And within days of this measure passing, uh, there were 11 bombings, most of them small, but some fatal, coordinated within this period of about two days, I think, and some of them going off simultaneously in different regions. Um, what's going on there well tell you what the same month last year there was a far bigger event 20 people were killed at a shrine in Bangkok and I think you wrote about it Joe it was linked to or a big hint was dropped in it that the prime suspects for the Thai authorities were two guys connected to the grey wolves
3: mm-hmm. yeah exactly that links it back to Turkey, which links it to NATO, Gladio, secret se- column. secret kind of paramilitary groups and stuff, you know. So, yeah, it's pretty murky. But I mean, it, again, it's a nexus between, um, you know, you can blame NATO, but and blame blame the US for these kind of things because they have obviously used paramilitary groups uh, around the world for decades, basically as their as their proxy armies. <clears throat> but it's not. When you say the U.S. is behind this, yeah, they usually are in some way or other. But they've been doing it for so long; they have these ramified networks and stuff with people in different places, and they have teams that can go in and, over a relatively long period of time, fund a certain group type of thing. You know that actually exists. Uh, some some small disgruntled uh, group that is clamoring for a small chunk of land in a country to, you know, for independence, they want to they, they want their ancestral. Uh, Uh, Rights to this part of the land, and they can be, um, you know, they can be funded, trained, armed, etc., and other other individuals can be sent in along with them, and you can turn that kind of a group that exists into uh, what is effectively uh, an arm of uh, a NATO or U.S. military arm, you know, a proxy proxy force. So, um, yeah. What were you saying about the? One
4: one thing, apparently the Western media is is blaming the Southern Thai separatists because there's a region in the South where there's a kind of separatist movement going on. And so that's what the Western media is focusing on um, and totally ignoring the Shinawatra angle. Uh, Tony Carlucci, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm pretty sure he's based, if not in Thailand, in that region. Mm -hmm. And so he's been writing about this a lot. And uh, so every time that, you know, an event like this happens, he, he... usually writes a a couple of good articles on it and giving all the background so we've got a couple of his on site right now and just laying it all out and just exactly what you what you just said Neil about the the history of this and Shinawatra's time in power and then he was mm-hmm. he was ousted i think like in 2006 or something like that and then his sister came into power in 2013 2014 and she passed this law basically giving amnesty to Shinawatra himself who was Basically, living in exile as a criminal, and that's when the military coup happened in 2014. And right. what the what the Western media is totally ignoring is that the military, which is running the country right now, basically has massive uh, public support. So, and that's mm. why that's why this referendum passed is because the people actually support this government, the military in Thailand, and don't support Shinawatra. So, um, so there's this. Um, well so Shinawatra is basically, you know, yeah, he's a he's a Western stooge but um, um, it's kind of with or without US support, you know, his his uh, his gang basically, these red shirts I think that's even what that's their name, the red shirts. So they go around with red shirts yeah. and, and machetes and A K forty sevens or M sixteens or whatever. And they've been doing this for years, um, just causing trouble and and trying to basically destabilize and eventually probably bring Shina- Shinawatra back into power and these attacks these latest attacks that the Western media are blaming on the southern separatists just coincidentally happen to be in regions of strong you know support for um, for the the king for the royalty and for the military and some of these regions were even instrumental in um, what was it some of the legislation I think that that um, went to, that brought yeah that brought uh, Shinawatra's Sister, like out of power and support for the for the military coup at that time so just again a complete misrepresentation in the western media of what's really going on in support of this essentially you know terrorist dictator and ironically one of the names of his movements is like the um, what is it people against dictators or something like that um, which is pretty funny
6: yeah and that message obviously jives well with certainly with westerners and maybe less so in the East. Um, that's the tone that's coming out of all this. Oh, the evil military, the dictators, blah, blah, blah. Um, these poor guys, i.e. the red shirts in Thailand, they only want democracy, freedom and democracy. Whereas if you actually take a microscope and look at their behavior over the last 10 years, there's even a leaked WikiLeaks cable in which the ambassador freely discussed, um, the U.S. ambassador to Thailand, um, Frankly, discussed the list of atrocities committed by these so-called freedom lovers and democracy lovers mm. in Thailand.
4: And he then didn't, of course, you know,
6: go and finger his own government in right. the process. But
4: and then the U.S. proceeded to do everything in its power to get Shinhuatra back in power, even though he, like their own diplomats, even are though they know what he's him. up to, exactly, yeah. exactly.
6: Man. Now, like the like the kerfuffle in Crimea this week, it's hard to see what. They could possibly hope to achieve on a political level. Given, I mean, given that the result of the referendum, I mean, the public support is behind the so-called evil dictatorship of Thailand. You know, they're never gonna they're never gonna have an effect overnight, where they swing a population the way they want, or they get in the government that they want. But you never know. They they've been doing it for years. We're talking about a process of about a decade in Thailand, but obviously this is far longer than that anywhere there's been Western influence and there's been a lot in Southeast Asia, it's an ongoing process of sort of heat, cool down, reheat conflicts, try and stoke civil wars, maybe get a civil war, maybe not, doesn't matter. You control through destabilization or you hope to control through destabilization. Um, the other country of interest this week, for me anyway, is the Philippines. Um, There's a growing chorus in the Western media about this new guy. Um, not he didn't take over in a coup. His name is Rodrigo Duterte. He's a um, long-standing politician in the Philippines. Mm. He was elected president in May. Um, so the chorus now in the media is that this guy is sending out hit squads to murder drug addicts. Um, some of that may be going on, um, but it's only part of the story. I mean, the context here is, uh, think think Mexico and drug cartels. Mm-hmm. It goes back at least 10 years, this current phase. Uh, they're current in, in the Western media, they're currently saying that the Philippines drug cartels are being run by the Chinese, as if the implication being that the Chinese government's doing it deliberately, which is an interesting projection, as we'll see. At the time, 10 years ago, they didn't mention the Chinese. They were accusing local, uh, the local communist rebels who've been active in the Philippines since the 50s. It's the longest running state versus communist rebel conflict on earth to this day. Uh, it's now outlasted the one in um, Colombia where the Colombian government and FARC last year tied up a peace deal, leaving the Philippines as the longest running conflict. Um, the new guy who came in, He's a hardliner, right? But he comes in and talks peace. He wants to actually do what happened in Colombia recently and wrap it up, end the conflict. Of course, the Philippines has other issues now because they've got Islamic extremists because part of the population is Muslim. So there's another fracture point already in place. You can see where the Philippines would have to then deal with that. But in any the event, these communists were accused of... um organizing cartels that gave the Philippines this major drug problem. Well, back in March 2007, they themselves um, completely denied it and in fact said that the U.S. 10 years ago began a process of, quote, hyping the illegal drug proliferation spin in order to justify the intensification of U.S. military intervention in the mm-hmm. Philippines and beyond. Um, the Turkey recently said that uh, the, the, his government believes the Sinaloa cartel, people actually brought in from Mexico, are now active in the Philippines. Hmm. It might have been hyped 10 years ago, but there really is now a drug problem. Um, he also recently lashed out at the U.S. ambassador, Philip Goldberg, <laughs> calling him a gay son of a bitch. I don't think in reference to his sexuality, just he just yeah. was angry with him. And it's not hard to see why. This guy, Goldberg, previously worked in intelligence. I'm not sure which agency, anyway, U.S. intelligence, specifically in counterterrorism and narco-trafficking at the the U.S. embassies in Chile and then Bolivia, where he was ambassador. In 2008, Evo Morales booted this guy, Goldberg, from Bolivia, quote, for aiding political opponents of Morales. Bolivia since then has has also got a serious drug cartel issue where drug production has gone skyrocketed. I wonder if everywhere this guy goes, Goldberg, drug trafficking explodes. In any event, he's recently been appointed U.S. ambassador to the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think it's it's a bit like what they did in Colombia. This is all about using the the methods they developed in the so-called war on drugs to extend U.S. military reach. Um, in large part, the justification for that comes about probably by massively increasing and worsening the drug problem. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's it's another kind of fifth column st- substructure, ramified network situation. Absolutely,
3: but this guy, uh, the third day, the president of the Philippines seems to uh, at least he's got he's got his priorities straight. He's uh, mm-hmm. he's not doesn't like the U.S. ambassador. Effectively, doesn't like the. Doesn't like the USA, I think. In general, understands uh, a lot more than than most people are. At least uh, takes the right, the uh, response to his understanding of what the US is about, which is that it's a a warmongering nation. I mean, he called it. He he said also that they had um, that the US had imported terrorism into the Middle East, uh, not he, the other way around. He said yeah. that publicly, mm-hmm. and so he doesn't like the US. sees what kind of what it's about, and seems to be following a policy now of rapprochement with China. Uh, He's basically waded into or has brought uh, the Philippines into this the South China Sea dispute that's been ongoing for a while. So um, it's kind of interesting. It's sort of a parallel in Asia to the the Mm Turkey-Russia situation in, in a certain sense, you know or you have um, the U.S. desperately trying to hold on to certain nations as their kind of client states, and eventually someone comes along and says, nah, I see what you're all about, I'm not interested, and is aware enough to say, okay, I need to make friends with the bigger powers in this region and and pick a side, basically. Philippines is
6: is kind of key to the U.S. claim to be mediating the South China Sea Dispute Mm -hmm. on behalf of all the little guys, because Philippines is the biggest of the little guys, uh, Vietnam would be their next best bet because if they lose, if if the Philippines says no, nah, it's not an issue with us. They can no longer speak through them, so they're left with Vietnam and Laos, which are that they're not going to have a war with China anytime soon.
3: No, and What's you see, way? and and just to back this up, you see, uh, for example, uh, a CNN uh, headline from uh, a couple of days ago. The headline is. Philippines stumbling towards dangerous isolation. Uh-huh. Um, so, which so I'm Yeah, it's it's so,
6: it's
1: yeah. it's, re, it's really ironic. I mean, the the Philippines uh, they've been, you know, one of the most pro US nations um, in Southeast Asia and you know, you had um, uh, before uh, uh they're
4: Tart- I mean. Duterte,
1: uh came in you know Aquino. he was just uh you know he was just this rapidly um uh he's so rapidly against china you know calling them um uh, nazi nation and you know things things like that and here uh comes this this new guy who is you know taking out the the drug trade he completely um stabilized when he was mayor of um the Davao City, um, you know, that was one of the most violent uh, cities in, in in the Philippines, and he completely took out the uh, the the drug trade, um, you know, in that city, and uh, and now it's considered, you know, one of the most one of the fourth uh, safest cities in uh, in in the world. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, he's 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 a character, and <laughs> people or, or the media, I should say, uh, latch on to. The things he says, uh, which you know are, are quite boisterous and sometimes inflammatory, and inflammatory. But the the thing is, he, his his in his actions, like he's taking out one of the the main means that uh, the West has used for imperialism, which is the drug trade. And mm-hmm. and in conjunction with that, you know, he he's wanting to make friends with with China. And yeah, I think you know it was just this past week that. Uh, they had their first envoy to to China to, you know, try to thaw the the tensions and uh, you know and, and develop better relationships and you know it's uh, uh, yeah it, it's he's just a fascinating character, you know. Um,
6: I, I I think the Philippines was the first overseas U.S. colony. Yeah, I think so too. 1898.
1: Mm-hmm
3: uh American Spanish war in 1889 they took the Philippines as a part of that and yeah it's ours you can't have it
6: well it, it means to be seen I mean they, they're going to have a, they have a lot of reach inside the Philippines of course there was a weird incident um, some 15 years ago where an American guy in his hotel room a, a bomb went off Uh, he ends up in hospital minus legs Mm -hmm. and he's being interrogated by the Philippine authorities who are you who do you work for and and he goes he tells them I work for Christ in action he (laughs) was either being in doofus or he was trying to say yes to CIA in any event um, he was abducted and disappeared overnight two FBI agents walk into the hospital in Manila and uh, wave their cards and shepherd them out of the country. And that's the end of it. Nothing hurt. No one knows who this American was, what he was doing with explosives in the hotel room in Philippines. So yeah, the U.S. will still have a lot of reach. That's the thing with all these countries. If you think of the extent to which Turkey's having to do this so-called purge, mm-hmm. you imagine that multiplied across not every country on Earth, but a lot of them especially that's one that's your oldest colony. It seems there is some parallels
1: there uh, with the uh, with the Philippines with what's going on in Turkey too is that you know um, he's not just going after you know regular drug dealers he's he's naming names of you know major uh, officials. That's right. And he
6: he's he's said 100 he, yeah, 150 150 military personnel, public servants or government employees. He's publicly named them and said they have what a certain ties. number of days to mess or get out or something. <laughs> so he's definitely going in them, um, both guns blazing.
1: I think um, there's been one to watch. Like six hundred thousand people have turned themselves in uh, to the Philippines government to, um, you know, basically on on these these drug charges. Um, but a, a lot of yeah, a lot of the, the most recent um scuffle that the media is is all up in arms is i think mainly to do that he's you know talking about people in power you know there's uh, a, a lot of the people that he named were were mayors of cities and you know and he himself said that you know there there may be some mistakes made uh, with names on the list but you know turn yourselves in and and be investigated and a lot of them are doing it
6: mm-hmm yeah. I can imagine, though, that among the dirty games that will go on here will be innocents targeted. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there are some ugly reports coming out with, you know, people who are drug users being shot um, left on the street. Is is that Duterte's doing or is that um, somebody... Loading the train with explosives. Yeah, I was. I was running off the, the rails.
1: Same, I was wearing the same thing, um, and you know this this number that's been put out by the media, you know that there's 700 or 800 uh, people that have been uh, killed in the Philippines in, in the past months that Duterte's been in power. But you know, you, you look back at the statistics of uh, of violence in in the Philippines, and you know it's it's not uh, it, it's it's the same. You know, in 2009, there were 26 uh, murders a day, Tw- 2010, 24 murders a day, 2014, uh, 27 murders a day. So, you know, this isn't a new thing with him coming into power uh, that people are all of a sudden being, you know, executed
6: by you know these uh, so-called death squads. Right. right, right. We're hearing about it now because, as the Communist Party <clears throat> representative said 10 years ago, the U.S. is hyping drug proliferation spin in order to justify its military intervention, yeah. blah, blah, blah.
3: put pressure on. So, what's next on our list?
4: Well, maybe we should cover the title of the show. War on Syria yes. Ending, Erdogan, Putin Peace Deal. Who's got some yes. on that? <laughs> well, one of the um, interesting...
1: One of the interesting ahead, stories that um, that I saw come about was just the ties that are being developed between um, Turkey and Iran um, and with with Russia uh, kind of being the the mediator as well um, so you know you, you see you know these these countries in the Middle East that the u s has been trying to you know dominate um, Kind of, you know, reshuffle things and are, you know, creating a, a different order um, of, of things that you know we'll likely see some some retaliation from the West. I think coming up, but um, yeah, no, I think that, I thought that was one interesting development.
3: Um, <clears throat> yeah. Is the war on Syria ending? Well, it's right now. It's centered on on Aleppo. Um, Eva Bartlett wrote a, a, an interesting update from on the ground in uh, in Aleppo just recently um, on on SAT. It's uh, at the top of the page. Um, it seems that while well, the U.S. is up to its <laughs> its old kind of shenanigans, which is ignoring, uh, trying to thwart, ignoring Russian uh, uh, attempts and trying to thwart Russian attempts to effectively end the war uh, by getting rid of all the West's uh, proxy, jihadi terrorist groups uh, in Syria. Uh, Aleppo being a very extremely important uh, city um, in Syria. Uh, A lot of people saying, basically, if Aleppo is... Liberated from these terrorists, that um, that that will be pretty much the end of it.
6: Yeah, it's <clears throat> it's the biggest city.
3: Yeah, so they're and the th- last
6: big city that's got terrorists, right?
3: It? So it's basically divided, kind of almost east west type of thing, with with um jihadi proxy terror forces um, in one section and uh, Syrian government forces in the other, and Kurds holding a little bit here and there. But um, the recently, what uh, the kind of bulk of of what uh, Eva Bartlett's article is about is is the latest kind of ongoing piece of kind of propaganda, which is um, talking about you know accusations that that have been around for a few months of Russia bombing hospitals and that effectively the people in in Aleppo are under siege. Um, and that, of course, the Western press and the U.S. government says that they're under siege from Syrian government forces, which is complete and utter patent nonsense. Uh, the people in Aleppo have been uh, on record repeatedly uh, in interviews and uh, you know recorded uh, interviews in, in in some sections of the media uh, as making it clear that they're under they're under siege from these isis Daesh, whatever jihadis. And they have been for for quite a while and there's video just recently of parts of Aleppo being liberated and Syrian women uh, burning their burqas that they were forced to wear um, and men cutting their beards that they were forced to grow by these uh, Western-backed jihadis. Uh, And this is a result of the Syrian Arab army and with support from uh, Hezbollah and Russia. Uh, freeing these sections of, of Aleppo. But, of course, that's turned around into, um, uh, well, they, they just turn it on its head without any evidence whatsoever. Yeah. They, they ignore the fact that Aleppo is being liberated and say that it's still, the still under siege. They, the evidence they cite is the
6: destruction and terror caused by their, quote, moderate rebels. Right. They use that evidence, which right. they can present photos of. Here's a woman in distress. Here's a guy starving. And they say, see, the Syrian government's doing this. Right but the very evidence they're citing is the evidence
3: for their own proxy jihadist forces doing it. Yeah. And one of the things that they talked about was that there was the last doctor in Aleppo, basically that the people are suffering a humanitarian crisis because, um, there's no more doctors, for example, they've all been killed or something by the Syrian army, which is complete nonsense. Uh, in Eva's article, she is there talking to doctors and who are giving lists of the number of doctors is actually about, um, Instead of being the last, instead of being a case of the last doctor in in some area of Aleppo or even in all of Aleppo, uh, there are four thousand over four thousand doctors still in Aleppo, uh, according to other doctors in Aleppo who are practicing on a day to day basis. So it's just it's just mind blowing the level of lies and propaganda coming from the West. They simply make stuff up that it's outrageous, not just a small lie, it's an outrageous lie, like saying there's no more doctors in Aleppo when there's actually 4,000, and say this is because of the siege of Aleppo by the Syrian army, when in fact the Syrian army has been attempting to liberate the people of Aleppo from these Western-backed jihadis. And, uh, you know, the U.S. doesn't want to uh, acknowledge that because the U.S. effectively has been using, for the past four or five years, has been using ISIS yeah, uh, To try and overthrow Assad. That's the bottom line. And it's amazing. I mean, it just gets very frustrating when it's, it's so obvious that that's the case. Yet we have to continue to battle the complete and utter lies, uh, from Western, uh, governments, particularly the US, uh, that, that, uh, that just turned the whole situation on its head. And it's, it literally is tantamount to them saying, uh, you know, the sky is not blue. The sky is green. And they keep saying this guy is green. And we are in a position of feeling that we have to say, no, it's not. It's blue. And they say, no, no, it's green. Here's all the evidence. Look, that's the kind of the feeling I get anyway of engaging at this stage. <laughs> because that's, I mean, it's so patently obvious, but uh, sure. I understand people are just don't actually look for any truth at all. Uh, they just—they don't even. It's not even that they don't look for truth. They don't even look at the lies. They simply absorb them in a kind of passive way. People in in the West absorb stuff because they don't really pay much attention to the news. They don't pay much attention to what's going on. The vast majority of people, but they still absorb stuff because they turn their TV on when they go home and the news is on. They're not watching it, but they're hearing the talking head, blah 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 blah, and it's repeated over and over again. They walk down the street, to see a newspaper with a headline. They don't necessarily consciously look at it but they glance at it and they absorb it. And this is, you know, the level of the idea that your subconscious basically absorbs everything, every little detail that's going on around you all the time, because your conscious mind is only aware of a small section of it. Well, that information includes the, the, the level of propaganda that people in the West and people around the world as well. But in terms of information that they're subjected to in the West, it's just that information is loaded uh, on the side of lies and propaganda People can't avoid getting it, even if they're not actually actively looking for it, and it goes into their minds in an unconscious way. And then, uh, if they're ever questioned on it or, have, or asked to give an opinion on it, they'll just churn out this nonsense that they've, they've absorbed. So it's uh,
1: <coughs> no, and and I think that's where uh, the whole um, Russian scare regarding the Olympics was was important because you know people. By and large aren't paying attention to the news and you know i i um i'm reminded of a conversation i had with a, a co-worker and you know, he was talking about how evil putin was and i asked him okay well you know why and i was expecting you know because he annexed uh, crimea and invaded ukraine like yada, yada yada and you know he didn't have anything to, to say well because mm-hmm. he just is but with mm-hmm. so with the, this this olympic uh nonsense, you know, you you're they're penetrating the masses in a much more um, uh, powerful way because people do pay attention more so to mm, the Olympics sports, than they yeah. do to, to to the news.
3: Right. Well, that's that's a very interesting point, Shane, because it seems that they're really the the propaganda is being ramped up to such an extent that the the powers that be, you know, U.S. government office of propaganda basically has say, said, "Okay, listen." People aren't actually looking or listening to the news anymore. So we're missing them in that sense. You know, Mm -hmm. we want to, we want to actively target them. So what do we do? Well, why don't we politicize the things that they use to distract themselves from politics? Mm -hmm. Sports. Let's get the politics into sports. And that way we can, they can still distract themselves, but we'll still turn them while they're watching, you know, the Olympic swimming competition. We'll still get a political message in there.
1: It's, it's like the power of propaganda has become so effective that the propaganda itself isn't as effective, so they have to come up with new ways.
3: Right, <laughs> right of, of targeting people, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I was just thinking recently about the whole the Turkey-Russia uh, reproachment and stuff, um, and just thinking again, as we've talked in previous shows, about the nature of the state uh, the Turkish state that uh, Erdogan inherited and what he'd been trying to do. And like we mentioned in previous shows, um, the idea that when Erdogan came into, into power in 2010, when he became the president, uh, he didn't inherit the country. He inherited a small part of it, or he inherited the office of the presidency effectively. The country was already being run and had been being run at a kind of deep state level Behind the scenes, by uh, Turkish intelligence, which was has been long term aligned with with the West, this is kind of NATO group that was stay behind group that was set up in the fifties, and that's when Turkish intelligence was set up, and effectively they were there to. Uh, so Turkish, the Turkish intelligence establishment was infiltrated or, or populated by people who were pretty much aligned with Western powers and controlled by Western powers, uh, and served an American. Interest in Turkey and America's interest in Turkey was keeping Turkey uh, stable, but stable in the sense of uh, for Western aligned, for the West, uh, and they were happy with that. And um, um, you know, even the Kurds, the Kurdish situation, for example, lay uh, that the, the war against the Kurds, I think. Uh, which was going on since uh, during the 80s for for, for quite a long time uh, was largely provoked by um, I was largely waged by this by by, by Turkish intelligence and the people in the Turkish military who were like minded basically western aligned because uh, they they didn't want, that was keeping Turkey stable, keeping Turkey whole effectively if the Kurds were allowed to um come in and 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 break up turkey for example that wouldn't be a good thing but at the same time uh, even though they call it keeping turkey stable waging a war against an ethnic minority within a country is a way to keep a country under control mm. you know you, you 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 keep it stable for your interests by keeping it internally destabilized at least by having some kind of an ongoing uh, conflict between uh, the powers that be and and a small group you know um because if peace breaks out in Turkey and and things were allowed to develop as they naturally would, you would probably have uh, a situation of Turkish uh, nationalism, effectively, uh, and the risk of a nationalist Turkish leader rising up that was not uh, so inclined to be aligned with the West. Because Turkey really doesn't have many uh, ethnic, religious, ideological, political, whatever uh, uh, similarities, or um, you know, um, yeah, similarities, or, or whatever that other word is, um, with the West. It's not a Western country; it's not a European country. The European Union and, and, the, and, and the U.S. has made that very clear by the fact that they've been uh, jerking them around, Turkey around, for uh, fifty, fifty, fifty-two years or so over entry into the European Union. You are not allowed, basically, because you are a bunch of bunch of Muslims so um that understanding that turkey is not a part of western europe doesn't uh have the same western european or american values uh is understood in the west as well and it's understood in turkey but uh they need turkey to uh, for strategically for strategic interests um so they wanted all along to prevent any kind of uh, true independence uh, or a true independent party or a political party or um, sentiment, effectively, to take hold in Turkey. And they, they did that by having this kind of this infiltration into the uh, Turkish intelligence and to a certain extent into the Turkish military. <clears throat> and they had various, they, they used them to carry out several coups over the past 20 or 30 years in Turkey when the threat of that happening seemed to be uh, imminent. Um, and they also used the, they, they exacerbated the, the conflict with the Kurds, um, by, by waging a war on, on Kurdish, uh, political parties and on the PKK, mm-hmm. the Kurdish militant group. And it was the CIA that actually, um, facilitated the capture and imprisonment of, uh, Okolan, who is the leader of the, of the PKK. And even when he, uh, spoke out about uh, a peace process and not, no, didn't want any more armed conflict. He was ignored and just kept in prison, and he's still in prison today, um, because they want to keep the Kurdish uh, conflict going as a way to uh, keep a uh, Western foothold in the country, effectively, to, to keep it kind of destabilized in that sense, because it's a perfect destabilization mechanism where you can flare up a, a conflict in the country at any point in time. So that's the kind of background, I think, to... To what Erdogan, for example, inherited, and he slowly became aware of of that situation, uh, and was didn't was having trouble in in taking back Turkey effectively for himself and for the the interests of his party, and effectively for the Turkish people. And we've talked about this before. About the the clear evidence, the large percentage, a majority of the Turkish people seem to support Erdogan. They like what he says. They like his his stance. You know. Uh, but you had this fifth column, deep state going on, which was, I think, which was the one, as I said at the time, the, the group that you know aligned with NATO, aligned with the US, that was responsible for shooting down the the Russian plane to sour re- relations between uh, Turkey and Russia, because that's the one thing that they don't want to happen, which is our uh, Turkish nationalist government are sentiment to take hold in the country that would naturally align itself with Russia, um, and they were also the ones that were. Spearheading the the movement of jihadis on behalf of again on behalf of NATO and the US and of Saudi Arabia, uh, the movement of jihadis from Syria into Turkey, uh, in my opinion, again largely beyond the oversight of of Erdogan and his people, or with their with their awareness, but uh, with their awareness, but with them unable to do anything about it, and also again, like I said, making the Kurdish stopping. Erdogan, any attempts that Erdogan might have had, and I think does have to settle the Kurdish question. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's just The reason I was thinking about it all again was because I came across that <coughs> murder of, and I've, the other thing I would say is that these are the same people who have been carrying out bombing attacks, so-called ISIS or whatever terrorist attacks inside Turkey over the past few months. Right. Um, the the obvious murder of that uh, British um, journalist, Jenny Sutton, uh, last October. And I think Harrison, you talked about the one before that, which was um, yeah, Serena, Serena Shim. Shim. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, she was a, a press TV journalist, American, but from of Lebanese origin, I think, working for press TV in, <clears throat> in Syria. And she was killed in a suspicious car accident. And she was the one who came out and she had video evidence the day before she was killed had taken video of uh, Isis militants coming being being funneled uh, from Turkey into Syria in um, in UN marked vans, but there were clearly jihadis being taken across the border into Syria from Turkey again I think by this deep state uh, element within Turkey this other journalist that was ki- so she was killed in about uh, October 2014 this other British journalist uh, Jenny Sutton who was found dead in uh, Istanbul Airport mm. last October. In the toilet, she went into the toilet, she had missed her flight, her connecting flight because she fell asleep. She went, and uh, was told that she had missed her connecting flight and because she was so distraught <clears throat> at missing her connecting flight to Ebril <clears throat> in, in Iraq where she was, where she, where she was based, uh, she decided to hang herself in the toilets with her boot laces. Right. Which happens all the time. And this is, you should see the history of this woman. She's been all around the world in all sorts of conflict zones, really, um, uh, I mean, she was, she, she was, at that time, she was the acting uh, Iraq director for the London based Institute for War and Peace. Uh, and she was working with Kurdish journalists who were gathering stories from Iraqi people, uh, including Kurds, Christians, Sunni, Shia, Muslims, and Jews, uh, uh, and putting together articles and, and reports about how those communities had lived together for generations in peaceful coexistence before the interference of the West and before the war opened up these horrible divisions. So she was all over this. She was totally against the Iraq war. She hated the, the invasions of Iraq and she was very much against all this. And, uh, she was in Kurdish area, uh, of Iraq. Had uh, come back there. Um, because she went off to Australia or something to try and chill out for a while, but she just couldn't handle the, the, the peaceful life. there. she came back because she wanted to basically help these people. And she was a very motivated woman, very strong woman. Um, and, uh, so apparently, but apparently, despite all her strength and her long history of of um, working with indigenous peoples and working with people in conflict zones uh, and writing reports and being part of it, she worked for the BBC, she worked for the UN, despite all of that, because she missed her connecting flight going back to uh, Iraq, she decided to hang herself in the toilet. Um, so the reason I'm, I'm making this point and the other one previously, Serena Shim, is both of these... Uh, people seemed to, or very likely, in one case, we're sure had evidence that pointed to elements within the Turkish establishment who were directly involved with helping jihadis, basically funding, training, arming, whatever, facilitating the the movement of ISIS into Syria to continue the destruction they'd been waging on behalf of the West. And I wouldn't be surprised if this uh, Jenny Sutton, who it was killed in his toilet obviously um if she had some evidence even that uh of western of u s influence or you know Saudis or whatever something that that wasn't uh that the, that the western uh, power certainly didn't want and and their clients or their 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 proxies within Turkey didn't want uh reaching the light of day um, yeah
6: mm-hmm it's, yeah,
3: it's it's dangerous for people to be on the ground there exposing. Yeah, but stuff. I mean, so just on the Aleppo thing, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, the Western press has been saying that Aleppo has been a liberated zone for three years. And when the Western press and the Western governments call Aleppo a liberated zone for the past three years, what they mean is that it has been liberated by their terrorists. It has been taken, not liberated, but taken over mm-hmm. by Western proxy jihadi terrorists who they say are moderates but are actually called al-Nusra which is an an affiliate group of al-Qaeda which if people remember was the one that attacked us on 9-11 so US government is saying this town this major city in Aleppo that has been taken by al-Qaeda has been liberated from the Syrian army the official Syrian army I mean they're effectively Apologists and supporters for Al Qaeda terrorists of the type that supposedly attacked America on 9/11. It's, it's, I mean, it's patently clear. It's right there in big black gold, big big black and white letters. You know, (laughs) in front of your face. America supports Al Qaeda terrorists in Syria, killing ordinary Syrian people in order to overthrow Assad for some ridiculous anti-Russian, Qatari oil or gas, basically greed and the desire to maintain America as a global hegemon, and trying to stop any potential threat to them ruling the world, i.e. enriching themselves even more on the suffering and, and deaths of ordinary people. Anybody who tries to stop them doing that, Assad, Russia, Erdogan, anybody, is evil. Anybody who stops them from using terrorists, i.e. death squads, to fulfill their goal of making sure America stays on top of the heap and is able to enrich itself and its politicians even more. Anybody who does that, uh, you have to be condemned in every way possible and, if possible, overthrown, attacked, killed, whatever, bombed. Um, I mean, it's it's not very... Uh, complicated, it's very very clear it's very obvious the evidence is there for everybody to see, the only thing that stops people from even, from, from seeing that and from accepting that is first of all they don't look at it and those that do and are presented with that information have an ideological problem with believing that because ideologically they have been duped for so long into believing that America is all about freedom and democracy, they can't for a second imagine that America would be about death and destruction and terrorism Promoting terrorism, promoting death, promoting destruction. No, America doesn't do that. Why? Because I've been told for 50 years, if I'm 50 years old, I've been told for 50 years that America is about freedom and democracy and bunny rabbits and flowers and everybody loving each other. Okay, you've been told that, but look at the evidence. Yeah, but the evidence conflicts with my belief and I'm going to have an aneurysm. So I can't. Sorry. Okay, well, if you can't, you have to go away. Uh, See you later. Bye. You're not part of the reality-based community anymore. It's a simple black and white kind of thing where it's, you know, if it's true, then you accept it as true. If you've been believing a lie, you accept the fact that you've been duped and adopt the truth. If you can't do that, then functionally you've got a serious issue, even as a basic human being. Uh At least... Uh, I mean, it's not really a basic human being anymore. that quality is today ascribed to ideal human beings yeah the ability to accept the truth for what it is and reject the lie, even if you believed for so long that's a quality that is beyond a lot of people yeah
6: very well said Joe. Another thing though is that
3: part of the reason
6: why at some point you you know take a break or just stop fighting the lies and the liars. It's because they want it to be true yeah it's not just that you've presented them with all the case and if they don't accept it they need to go away no they're going to stay there and they're going to keep lying to your face because they want it they like it
3: They like to believe that they're special and they're the good guys
6: yeah and they, they will they will go to their death they will fight if you wanted to they will take it to a fight with you to the death. Well,
3: pistols at dawn, you know. Whoever gets shot first is, is right. Uh, I don't know. Um, it's worse than that, though, because, yeah, they, they want it to be true. And But if if they wouldn't, if people wouldn't identify with their government and their country uh, in, in such a strong way, they would probably have a better chance of, of, of doing it, of, of accepting the truth, however unpalatable it is. It's only unpalatable because you have tied yourself uh, to your government, the identity of your, your government as, a, as an entity and the, your national identity represented by your government and that therefore is somehow you. So whatever they do or whatever they represent is basically, it's, a, it's, it's, it's exactly the same as, as what you are. So the government has to be good therefore because I want to be good. I don't want to be seen as a bad person. Well, just, why don't you just give up your government, you know? When you just distance yourself from your government in your own mind. Let your government go. Let it just sail on its own and let your country go. Even your idea of nationalism, you know, America being the greatest country in the earth and you know what American values and stuff. Forget about all that. Forget about the country's values. What are you talking about? You can't even touch or feel those. Talk about your own values. See yourself as an individual in a ch- on a chunk of the earth happens to have a name and be a country and stuff, but that's nothing to do with you. You're an individual on earth. What values do you have? Independent, your own values. Pick them. If it's freedom and democracy, then look for where those values are being upheld and look for where they are not. Well, they are being upheld and if whoever they are being upheld by, that's who you support because they are aligned with your values. Those who clearly are not upholding those values and do not re- represent them, you are not aligned with them. What's wrong with that? If that happens to be the US government, if you find that the US government is not upholding any democratic or freedom loving values, well then you are not no longer identified with your government or your country. If you're, if the rest of the people in your country are all supporting your government that is being evil, and you want to be good, well, then you're no longer identified with people in your country. you got to go and find a group of people who have the same values as you, and you can set up your own little pretend country.
6: Um, I'm just getting something here. Someone's passing around a card telling me the correct response is USA, USA.
2: <laughs> right. Well, that's funny, well, Neil, that's because a- I, just real quickly, you know, in the uh, DNC convention, when the Bernie Sanders and other delegates and and uh, and groups had said "No more war, no more war," there was a whole other group of people who were instructed to drown out uh, right. that That's rallying cry. To. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Yeah. And and the elite and the oligarchs and the media and the the political class understand this, which is why they they, right. they told them to say those things.
4: Well, speaking of the USA, uh, we're getting to the end of the show. Do we have time for a police state roundup?
3: Yeah, we can get a brief one, though.
4: Yeah, let's get a. Can brief I just?
6: On. Yeah. Wait, uh, one little thing. Can I just have a final word on the state of democracy in both the US and the UK? Absolutely. The two countries exporting most democracy in quotes. So, WikiLeaks this week dropped a major hint that the person who leaked the DNC emails. Was Seth Rich, twenty-seven-year-old who worked
3: for the DNC. No, they didn't say that. They didn't say that. They didn't say that he was the one who leaked it. But they dropped a big hint that it was. Well, him. they said they're looking into it, but there's no. They don't have any hard evidence that he was the guy who was killed in a robbery where they didn't rob anything from him.
6: All right, okay, I'll drop it. <laughs>
3: yeah, please stay random. All right.
5: Where's, Where's your warrant? Right. Show me Where's the warrant. Show me we
8: don't need a warrant yes, you can. Oh, yes. wow.
7: they just said they did not have a warrant
8: get out of my house unless you have a warrant right now If you keep smiling at me like this is some kind of funny thing Okay. I, okay. there's nothing funny about it They're okay then stop smiling right, right. how did you get hit good, good
4: now Brent are you with us what do you hey, got
8: guys. hey yeah man. can you hear me yep there you go um. Actually, I have a lot, so I'm going to try to keep it really short. Um, an interesting article in Quartz magazine recently tacked on to some historical data from Alabama's Tuskegee University, um, showing that that in 2015 it was probably uh, or it was in fact the worst year of um, African American slangs by police. Um, by far, and it even topped the number of people that were killed in the worst year of, uh, Jim Crow. So, from about 1890 to 1965, and the, during the, about 39 black people were lynched per year, uh, in the U.S., and during the worst of it, 161 black Americans were lynched. Um, last year, 2015, 258 black people were killed by police, uh, representing about 26% of the total deaths, um, so it's the new Jim Crow is, is kind of a very apt dis- way to discuss the way African-Americans are being treated by police. Um, there's a new video out about Hannah Cohen. She was this girl. We talked about her on the show uh, probably a couple weeks back. She was a um, brain tumor patient who was disoriented from uh, radiation treatment, um, and she was uh, taken down in a Tennessee airport um, over a confrontation with police. This new video comes out, shows them, talking with Hannah and her mother, and then suddenly it becomes violent. There's some suggestion that she pushed one of the officers, and very quickly um, they kind of threw her to the ground, handcuffed her. And, you know, I watched the video kind of shortly. I wasn't able to, you know, tune in on all the fine details. But it, it looks like they're having a normal conversation, and all of a sudden this this 18-year-old girl gets slammed to the ground. Um, apparently she was disoriented. She had trouble speaking. She was partially blind, partially deaf. Um, and one of the sequins or something on her dress kind of, like, flagged her in, in the metal detector, and that was enough for them to uh, take her down. She was eventually released after being held in jail for a day, and no charges were filed. Now she's, uh, she's suing the, um, the TSA and the police department. Um, there was a pretty horrific uh, incident in Florida yet again, um, where this 73-year-old librarian was volunteering for a um, a demonstration uh, in a sort of community-run, um, come-check-out-what-the-police-do sort of day activity. You know, they did a tour of um, police academy and uh, police station, and, and then they did a, a demonstration of use of force. So they were kind of showing when, you know, officers would use force and, and when they would not. And this 73-year-old woman, usually they they use um, blanks or they use a fake gun in these exercises. This was a real gun, and it happened to be loaded with live ammunition. She ended up getting shot several times and was later pronounced dead. Um, it was kind of a big thing that went around the Internet. Um, now just coming out is that the, the officer that was responsible for death that pulled the trigger, he was involved in a previous incident we discussed where he... Um, Basically allowed a canine to maul a guy on a bike who he had pulled over because he didn't have proper lighting on his bike. And was riding late at night, so this guy clearly has a, a history of of violence, and it's now it's questionable as to you know well, what was going on here with this ammunition. Was it was it intentional? You know, was it was an accident. Everybody's calling it an accident, but now this new information about his background really calls that into question. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll probably just run through some of these headlines, um, this one, a woman calls 911 predicting that a cop would attack her only to have him attack her while she's on the phone with 911. It's a 28 year old woman in Houston, Texas was attacked. She didn't like the way that the cop was interacting with her. So she dialed 911 to kind of plead for help. Um, she asked for another officer to come to the scene because she didn't feel safe. And then he shortly thereafter, you know, grabs her, tries to pull her out of the car. um, another story uh, this video coming from albuquerque new mexico um really disturbing video where this woman is uh locked in a jail and one of the officers can be um heard saying quote twist her wrist until she shuts up and stops crying which gives you an idea of how police view people in their custody um Really disturbing series of headlines here. cop pulls gun on teen for filming, mocks him for being skinny and then challenges him to a fight. This guy was just filming the police and all of a sudden the cops decided that was enough to warrant some sort of, uh, uh, escalation of the situation. Um, it depends on where you are locally, but in a lot of States in the U S you're totally allowed to film the police as long as you're, you know, back away,s and you're not interfering with them. Um, and it's, it's really disturbing that this is how police, you know, treat, you know, concerned citizens. There's another uh, headline. Video shows cop attack and arrest innocent pregnant woman for filming him. This is from Columbia, Missouri. Um, this one was really disturbing. Uh, Crazy cop pulls a gun at a party, strangles his wife, and then posts revenge porn on Facebook. This cop uh, has a history of, um, you know, he was stalking this woman as his ex-wife. Um, she was, um, on a date with uh, somebody else and, um, he eventually decided to crash this house party that she was at with her boyfriend at the time, um, pulls out a gun, strangles her. And then, uh, sometime he, sometime after he left, um, and then he ended up posting, um, you know, private videos, I guess, that he had taken when they were together on the internet. Um, and this, this sort of revenge porn sort of, uh, sort of way. Um, This was a really disturbing story about cops breaking into somebody's home, killing their dog, shooting at the uh, homeowner, and then shooting each other. Um, There was a call about a suspicious African-American man in a neighborhood at the end of a cul-de-sac. Wasn't really clear what house they were talking about. So the officers decided to uh, poke around the home that they thought was the one that, that was being discussed Um, the, you know, doors of this house were, were unlocked. They let themselves into the back door, um, couples in the living room, you know, young couple with a one-year-old child and, um, they hear a noise from their kitchen. The noise was their dog getting shot by police who had walked in the back door. The dog was barking, didn't attack the officers, was, you know, barking, doing the dog's job to let them know that somebody's in the house that shouldn't be there. And, um, they killed the dog. And, you know, the husband went to, you know, investigate what was happening in the kitchen. You know, he just starts to open the door to the kitchen. He doesn't even get the door open before officers open fire um, and shoot him in the leg. And um, somehow they ended up hitting each other. And, um, you know, the the the, couple has no idea what's going on. Yeah, one of the cops shot the other one. They have, you know, no idea what's going on. The poor wife is screaming. She thinks that somebody broke into the house and just killed her husband. You know, it's clearly a traumatic experience for everybody involved. And um, now they're they're uh, they're suing the police, which I guess is good. But just it's a shame that anytime stuff like this happens, lawsuits usually result in a payout from taxpayers' pockets instead of you know police budget or their pension funds. Um, there's a new video that popped up online. Um, very short clip of um, NYPD officers um, repeatedly punching um, a black suspect who was prone on the ground and um, surra- the bystanders, you know, begging the guys to stop beating this dude. And, um, you know, of course, they're screaming, stop resisting, stop resisting. And, you know, this guy is Clearly, you know, they got three guys on top of him. He's on the ground. And the one guy just keeps punching them in the head repeatedly. And then he kicks him in the head. And then he continues to punch him in the head. And you can hear the bystanders, like, just, you know, concerned and and very disturbed. Um, This was a story about a um, a teenager that was shot and killed. Uh, This officer had a history of malfunctioning body cameras. He shot and killed a 19-year-old. Uh, Mary Hawks in the early morning hours, April 24th, 2014. And now new evidence is coming out to show that the gun that he had said that she had pointed at him had no prints or any DNA on it whatsoever. So now it, it really throws the cop's story into question. And you know, we, we hear stories all the time of cops planning weapons. Um, and this seems to be an example of one of those types of situations. Uh, this is a horrible headline. Cop strip searches, innocent woman sodomizes her in public over a broken terror light. And this was out of Baltimore, Maryland. Um, cops mistook an innocent, unarmed, mentally ill man for a suspect and murdered him. Um, and then there's just, uh, some stories, uh, about the, for the first time in history, the federal government is going to now start tracking killings by police. The uh, Department of Justice has just recently announced that they're finally going to start keeping a tally of the people that are killed by police. Um, it's really kind of weird that, it, you know, 2016, it's taken this long for them to think that that number is somewhat relevant. But I guess with all the uh, outcry in, in the public domain, it's uh, they want to show that they're doing something. So uh, they're going to finally start keeping a tally on that number. So a lot of very disturbing stuff. Um, I kind of went through it really quickly, Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a jungle out there. Gotta be careful.
4: Yeah. Well, thanks again, Brent. Um,
8: Yeah, no problem. Just as
4: just as depressing as usual. So, so thanks.
8: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know. uh, On a side note, I actually I went to a writers' conference this weekend, and I kind of pitched a book idea to one of the ladies who seemed to be interested in nonfiction, social justice kind of topics. And she sounded very interested. So I sent her a link to the radio show. Hopefully she'll be tuning in at some point or checking out the, uh, the backlogs and, um, maybe we can put together a book on this stuff at some point. Mm, great. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks Brent. And we'll talk again next week. Take care, Brent. Thanks Brent. Yep. Yeah, no problem. Okay. Bye-bye.
4: Well, before we end the
2: show, I, um, kind of hot off the presses on SOT. Uh, was just a, a quick story about um, a speech uh, that uh, Chinese leader Xi Jinping gave at the 95th anniversary of the founding of the uh, Chinese Communist Party. This was last month, and um, he said a couple of things that I, I thought really marked uh, a turning point um, in uh, this kind of geopolitical struggle we're seeing Um, What he said was that uh, he was basically calling for a, a union between Russia and China that would render NATO powerless and put an end to the imperialist desires of the West. He also said the world is on the verge of radical change. We see how the European Union is gradually collapsing, as is the U.S. economy. It is all over for the new world order. And finally, Uh, He said, it will never be as it was before. In 10 years, we will have a new world order in which the key will be the union of China and Russia. And uh, what's so striking to me about this is that, you know, with the exception of um, the Chinese vociferously speaking out against the U.S. Navy and its exercises and provocations in the South China Sea, they never speak this way. They, They are... Uh, very quiet and understated, uh, and have taken a lot of insult, and um, and have just kind of responded uh, very conservatively, at least with their rhetoric. So for for Xi uh, Jinping to come out and make these statements, uh, these declarations, I think um, is just a it just signifies this this kind of. Um, this this level, this boiling point that uh, that Russia, uh, that Russia and China uh, have reached at this time. Um, so uh, just interesting remarks there. And um, and I think a, a, a sign of, of things to come.
1: Well, there is a there's a bit of hubbub in like the neoconservative rags uh, about Russia and uh, China. Not being a, an actual alliance, um, because they they refrained from from using that language in the past, uh, so th- they'd like to laud that in in their propagandist uh, material. And um, so, I I hadn't seen that speech, but I did see that they had officially come out and say that you know there is an alliance between like, the two. No, they,
4: they,
2: they're a semi-alliance. Well, se- oh, excuse me, semi-alliance. <laughs> <laughs>
4: As in semi-automatic. Yeah. <laughs> well, with that said, I think we're going to call it a day, call it a night, call it a morning, wherever you are. And we'll be back next week with, uh, hopefully we'll be able to do an interview next week, but we'll see. We'll let you all know before um joe and neil had to step out early uh so goodbye on behalf of them and for, on behalf of myself everyone take care and uh, we'll talk next week thanks for listening guys take, take care. care everyone